Well, if you turn again in your Bibles to the passage uh, we just read, uh, the second half of Romans chapter 6, and uh, this morning I'd like us to look at the last three verses, uh, but we'll touch on the theme of the chapter, and uh, we'll return again, God willing, to the chapter this evening. Uh, So Romans chapter 6, let me read verses 20 to 23 again. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you were now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What does it mean to be a Christian? Uh, If you wanted to know the answer to that question, a good place to turn to in the Bible would be the book of Romans. In the opening chapters, uh, Paul explains our great problem, the problem of our sin, and that God is just, and that he is right to condemn us in our sin. And we justly uh, sit under his wrath and condemnation. We are without excuse before him. But by his grace and mercy, through faith in Jesus Christ, we can be put right with him. Now, you might be able to say this morning, I know that I am a Christian. I know that my sin has been dealt with. I know that I am right with God. I know that I have peace with him. Now, that is a good thing to be able to say. But I want to suggest this morning that if your conception of the Christian faith is simply forgiveness of sin, then you are making the gospel smaller than it really is. The gospel has greater depths to it than the simple idea that our sin has been done away with. When I was a teacher in Pontypool, I once went with the art department on a school trip and we went to the museum in Cardiff. Now, I've, I lived in Cardiff all my life until I went away to university. I never had any idea. But in Cardiff Museum, there are paintings by Monet. And even a, a Philistine like me, when it comes to art, Even I have heard of Monet, and uh, I think I can even appreciate his paintings. They are full of colour, and it's the colour that gives them beauty. Well, imagine if you saw those paintings, and they were only black and white prints. Uh, You wouldn't fully appreciate the the greatness of the artist. You need the full colour to get the full worth of, of what that picture is. And it's possible to not really appreciate the gospel, to make the gospel smaller than it is. Well, God willing this evening, I want us to look at Romans 6 again, and uh, tonight perhaps we'll get a better overview of the whole chapter, but this morning at least, I want us to look at the end of the chapter and to understand this, the Christian is someone who has been completely changed. The Christian is someone who has been radically changed transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, One of the commentators on the book of Romans talks about a a documentary he watched in 1972, and the occasion was the death of Edward VIII. Edward VIII, of course, was Edward the Abdicator. He was not king in 1972. He had abdicated 
1936. He chose Mrs. Wallace Simpson over um, the throne. Uh, But in that documentary, apparently, he reminisced about his childhood. And so these snippets were taken of interviews he had given throughout his life. And as he reminisced about his childhood, he talked about his father, King George V. And his father, King George V, apparently always told him off in the same way. When he would tell him off, he would say something like this, My son, you must never forget who you are. You see the point? You are the future king. That behavior is not fitting of you. My son, you must always remember who you are. And Romans chapter 6, I want us to see the depths of the gospel. Romans chapter 6 tells us, it reminds us, if you are a Christian, this is who you are. Something radical has happened to you. You've been taken from one place to another. And as Christians, to grasp the depth of the gospel, we need to understand properly just who we are. Um, If you are a Christian, remember that God has radically changed you. Now keep those things in your mind throughout the day. We'll return to them this evening. But this morning, I I just want us, if you like, to have a, a brief introduction to Romans chapter 6. And maybe if you're not a Christian this morning, for you to see that Christianity is about much more than simply the forgiveness of your sin. That is vital. We need to be put in a right relationship with God. We are under his wrath because of our sin. Our sin needs to be dealt with. And the Lord Jesus Christ has dealt with our sin. He's paid the price at the cross. But being a Christian has greater depths. And so I want us to look at these last few verses of Romans chapter 6 in this way. I've got two headings for you. Firstly, Christian, remember who you were. Remember who you were. Now, as I said, it might be this morning, you're not a Christian. And so for you, the heading is slightly different. For you, the heading is, this is who you are. But for the Christian, this is who you were. And then secondly, the second heading is this, remember who you now are. Or if you're not a Christian, this is who you could be. Uh, This could be yours. So remember who you were and remember who you now are. Or this is who you are and this is who you could be. So firstly, remember who you were or remember who you still are. Look at how verse 20 begins. Verse 20 begins with this, for when you were slaves of sin. This is the picture that Paul has been using in the second half of this chapter. If you read the chapter through for your homework this afternoon, you will notice halfway through the chapter he begins to speak in this way. He talks in human terms, that's how he puts it in verse 19. He's explaining things to us as simply as he can. Uh, He uses the analogy of slavery. And here in verse 20, he says, you were slaves of sin. The picture is back there in verse 16. Look at verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves, slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Now see the picture of slavery that he's given. 
Um, when I was a boy, I remember, sometimes on a bank holiday, the film Ben-Hur would be on the television. And I never watched it all the way through. It was one of those films. You went out to play because it was a little dull. And you came back six hours later and the film was still on. Uh, but in, in the film, there's a, a conception we might have of slavery. There's this man and he's being whipped. He's being beaten. He has to row faster on his Roman galley. He is a slave. But we need to understand that slavery was something you could give yourself to. If you were down, as it were, if you had no means of food and clothing, you could offer yourself as a slave. And that's the idea that Paul is using there in verse 16. You can become a slave. And Paul gives this picture. Imagine sin as a person. And a person goes knocking on sin's door and says, here I am. I am ready to serve you. That's what Paul is saying in verse 16. You are either a slave of sin, you either present yourselves to sin, to obey sin, which leads to death, or you present yourself to obedience, or, as he puts it later, you present yourselves to God to be his slave. Now, that's the picture uh, that we're, we're, we're getting in the, in the second half of this chapter. The picture is of the slave going to the slave master and presenting themselves for service. Now, we need to understand that's who the Christian was. The Christian is someone who every day would present themselves as a slave to sin. Okay, so the gospel is this, my sin is taken away by the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's more than that. It means I am no longer someone who every day presents myself as a slave to sin. A few weeks ago, I went to a birthday party, and it was an unusual birthday party. It was the party of a, a few colleagues who all had birthdays around the same time as me in the school I used to work in in Pontypool. And it was an unusual birthday party because it was in the school building. And so I found myself in the unusual situation of being in school on a Saturday evening. Uh, but that's one thing, isn't it? Going there on a Saturday night is one thing. If I turned up on Monday morning and said, I'm back, give me my geography classes again, let me teach them, well, that's an altogether different thing. Uh, I'm pleased to say I did not do that on the Monday morning. I gave myself to the work of Hebron in, in Daulais. I presented myself there for service. And that's the picture that Paul is given. There are only two possibilities. You either present yourself as a slave of sin, or you present yourself as a slave of obedience. There are only two kinds of people in the world. What kind of person are you this morning? Are you someone who is a, a slave of sin? Or are you a slave of obedience or a slave of God? So back to verse 20, Paul says to these Christians, you were slaves of sin. Um, you were knocking at sin's door. You were there presenting yourself for service. You were presenting yourself for duty there. Now, the irony, of course, is this. There are many people this morning who are not Christians. And if you're a Christian this morning, they will point at you and say, look how you are enslaved. 
You're enslaved to your religion. You're enslaved to the Bible, to its rules and regulations. You are a slave. But Paul here is saying, we're all slaves. We all give ourselves to one thing or to the other. But then he does make a concession in verse 20. Because look at what he goes on to say in verse 20. He he does say, there was one way in which you were free when you were an unbeliever. He says this, the whole of verse 20 reads, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free. There was one kind of freedom you had. You were free in regard to righteousness. The one thing we were certainly free from before we were Christians was this, we were not slaves to righteousness. We were not bound to righteousness. Now, what does Paul mean there? He doesn't mean that someone who is not a Christian is incapable of ever doing anything that we might conceive of as right. Uh, There is much good that is done in the world, but what he means is this, you were not slaves of righteousness. There was not within you an inner compulsion that you must obey him that you must give yourself to him, that now you belong to him. There was not a desire to cry out within you, I am now not my own. I belong to him. I've been bought by his precious blood. Now there is a lot of righteousness in the world today. Maybe you will disagree with me on this, but there are lots of people today who exhibit a kind of self-congratulatory righteousness. There are politicians and there are people in the media who try to outdo each other, to be perceived as being more righteous. There is a kind of righteousness that is designed to make you feel more superior to others. You might disagree with me saying that, but certainly the Lord Jesus Christ points to that kind of righteousness in the Gospels when he speaks to the Pharisees. Remember these words, Jesus says this, Luke 16 verse 15, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts, for what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. God knows our hearts. And he knows the kind of righteousness that we seek. But verse 21 goes on. Look at verse 21. Paul describes in more detail the kind of people we once were. Verse 21, Paul says, this is what you were. So the first bit of verse 21, Paul says, what fruit did you have then? Paul is saying before you were a Christian, you lived a fruitless kind of life. A fruitless kind of life. What does that mean? In our garden, we've got an apple tree, and uh, it's not very big, it's pretty pathetic looking, but uh, a few months ago, it did have beautiful white blossom all over it. Now, something's gone wrong, um, probably not enough water, and we haven't fed it, uh, but there's, there's no fruit on it, and the leaves look all shriveled. My point is, that tree will not bring any satisfaction to us. We will not have the pleasure of feeding on any delicious fruit. And Paul is saying this is the life of the unbeliever. There's there's something about life for you, if you're not a Christian, that does not bring any kind of real joy or any kind of real satisfaction. 
Paul is saying it's a, it's a fruitless kind of life. Now, you might say this morning, well, if, if I could have everything I wanted, life would then be more fruitful. Life would then be more satisfying. Aldous Huxley wrote his novel, A Brave New World, and uh, biotechnology has got rid of all pain. And uh, if you feel any pain, all you need to do is take this drug, and the pain goes away. And yet in that book, there is a, a hollowness. There is still an emptiness to people's lives. There is still no satisfaction. The, the human beings in that book still yearned for something more. Paul says, what fruit did you have then? Life was unfulfilling. You might disagree with me this morning. You might take great offense at that. You might say, well, thank you very much, but my life is fine just as it is. Uh, there's a, a book, it's probably in the, in the shop next door by Vaughan Roberts, a little book uh, written on assisted suicide. And uh, Vaughan Roberts quotes the philosopher Nietzsche, who said this, I want to die proudly when it is no longer possible to live properly. I want to die proudly when it's no longer possible to live properly. You see what he's saying? While life is good now, well, now I've got satisfaction. But when, when perhaps life becomes undignified, when I need to be taken from one place to another because my eyesight is too poor to get me there myself, when I lose my independence, when I suffer the indignity of incontinence, oh, well, then, uh, then take me away. Then end my life. Because there's, there's no kind of fruitful life at that point. Paul is saying, ultimately, the life of every man and woman outside of Christ will be unfruitful. There's, there's nothing to live for outside of your created purpose of knowing God. I brought with me an extract from a little book. Maybe it is a little long, but I think it's probably worth listening to. Uh, this is an account of a woman who had nothing. She had nothing. And yet, this is a fruitful kind of life. Um, this is in a, a book by um, a Christian apologist. He writes this. A former colleague of mine used to make it his habit to visit shut-ins in nursing homes in an attempt to bring a bit of cheer and love into their lives. One day he met a woman he could never forget. On this particular day, so this is the, the friend now, on this particular day I was walking in a hallway that I had not visited before, looking in vain for a few who were alive enough to receive a flower and a few words of encouragement. This hallway seemed to contain some of the worst cases, strapped onto carts or into wheelchairs and looking completely helpless. As I neared the end of this hallway, I saw an old woman strapped up in a wheelchair. Her face was an absolute horror. The empty stare and white pupils of her eyes told me she was blind. The large hearing aid over one ear told me she was almost deaf. One side of her face was being eaten by cancer. There was a discolored and running sore covering part of one cheek. 
and it had pushed her nose to one side, dropped one eye, and distorted her jaw, so what should have been the corner of her mouth was the bottom of her mouth. As a consequence, she drooled constantly. I also learned later that this woman had been bedridden, blind, nearly deaf and alone for 25 years. This was Mabel. Mabel and I became friends over the next few weeks, and I went to see her once or twice a week for the next three years. It was not many weeks before I turned from a sense that I was being helpful to a sense of wonder. And I would go with her with a pen and paper to write down the things she would say. During one hectic week of final exams, I was frustrated because my mind seemed to be pulled in ten directions at once. The question occurred to me, what does Mabel think about? Hour after hour, day after day, week after week, not even able to know if it's day or night. So I went to her and asked, Mabel, what do you think about when you lie here? And she said, I think about my Jesus. I sat there and thought for a moment about the difficulty for me of thinking about Jesus for even five minutes. And I asked, what do you think about Jesus? She replied, slowly and deliberately as I wrote, And this is what she said. I think how good he's been to me. He's been awfully good to me in my life. Lots of folks would think I'm kind of old-fashioned. But I don't care. I'd rather have Jesus. He's all the world to me. Now one day there is a certain reality. All of your pleasures and all of your comfort will be stripped away. What will happen to you if you end up in a bed like Mabel? Will your cry be, let it end? There's no reason to carry on. Well, if that's the case, your life is the unfruitful life that Paul describes here. Uh, But if instead you have the great joy of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, well, that is life eternal. Look at how Paul goes on in verse 21. He says this, What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? So Paul is saying, remember, this is who you were. You filled your life with things of which you are now ashamed. So it was a fruitless kind of life. It was an empty kind of life. But it was also a life of things of which you are now ashamed. Perhaps Paul has several things in mind here. There is sometimes a sense, isn't there? An empty sense when you think to yourself in a moment of crisis, uh, what is it that my life has been about up to this point? What have I achieved? What have I done? And then you fill your life with frantic activity. I must make my life mean something. There must be some worth to to who I am and, and what I'm doing. These things of which you are now ashamed. I remember when I was a student... Um, I don't read the Western Mail, but I remember it must have been some occasion when I did have to buy it, looking for a job or something like that, when I was coming to the end of my uh, degree as a student. Uh, But I remember a front page, and I've been able to find it on the internet. The actor, Anthony Hopkins, he was in the Western Mail, 
And uh, in the article, he said this, I can't take it anymore. This has got to stop. I have wasted my life. This ridiculous, futile, wasteful life. And he goes on. Don't know if he still feels like that. It might have been his moment of crisis, your midlife crisis, whatever you might like to describe it as. But what's it all about? What am I doing? This futile, wasteful life. I look back at it all and I'm ashamed of it all. I seem to have done so little and achieved so little. Perhaps what Paul has in mind are sinful regrets. What fruit did you have in the things of which you are now ashamed? Paul is writing to Christians and he's saying, look back. You look back at your life and it makes you shudder. It sends a shiver down your spine. I did that. I said those things. I believed those things. My mind was filled with those things. Those were my ambitions. Those were my aims. I'm now ashamed of those things. I'm sure many of you know people who after a drunken evening, they, they're ashamed. They have some regrets. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I behave like that. But often, there's no regret. There's no shame. And so Paul is writing to people who have encountered something of God's presence, of God's dealing with their lives, who the Holy Spirit has gone to and awakened them. And in that moment of light, they've been horrified. This is who I am. This is, is what I've done. God has stirred life to them. And they now look back at such things and they say, those are the things of which I am now ashamed. This is who you were. It might be this morning. This is who you are. What are you living for? Is there any real meaning for you? What hope do you have? What purpose do you have? What objective do you have? But secondly, and uh, briefly, remember now who you are. Uh, so that's who you were, but remember who you are. Or, or if you're not a Christian, this is who you could be. Look at verse 22. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. So look at the contrast between verse 20 and verse 22. Verse 20 began in this way. For when you were slaves of sin, now verse 22, but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God. What Paul is writing about in Romans chapter 6, and we'll deal with it better this evening perhaps, but what he's writing about is this. There is complete freedom from the kind of person you used to be. You have been taken away from one kind of life, from one way of living, and you've been given a new kind of life, which is completely different. Now let me say it again. Romans 6 is saying, remember who you are. You are not the person you once were. Romans 6 follows on from Romans 5. And the emphasis in Romans 5 is, you were once in Adam, but now you were in Christ. This is a completely different place to be. And Romans 6 is about 
living out the reality. Verse 22 then says this, But now, having been set free from sin, and having become slaves of God. Now I said we'll deal with this better this evening. Paul is not saying you are set free from sin in this sense, that you will never sin again. Now that surely cannot be the case. Uh, even those who have been Christians for, I'm sure looking out this morning, there are some who have been Christians over 50 years, over 60 years even. Well, you still struggle with sin. The presence of sin is still with you. You still feel the liability to sin. But Paul is saying there is a sense in which you have been set free from sin. Maybe I can explain it in this way. Uh, when I was um, teaching in, in Pontypool, I never knew this lady, uh, but one of my colleagues had once observed her teaching. If you know teachers, they don't like being watched. And uh, it was her turn to be watched. And uh, my colleague went to observe her teach. But uh, to set the context of this story, you need to know she only had a month left to go. And then she was done with teaching. She could enjoy her retirement. And so she taught her lesson. I think she taught it well. And uh, my colleague gave her her feedback. Uh, there's always some room for improvement, isn't there? And she patiently listened. And then she said nothing. She took the piece of paper, ripped it in two, and dropped it in the bin. Now, you see what she was saying. I think she was a very professional teacher, but this was her moment. You see, the time is coming. I'm now counting the minutes. I no longer have to sit and listen to this. I am no longer under your authority. That's what she was saying. I'm going to be free from all of this. And this is the reality for the Christian. This is the depths of the gospel. That yes, my sin has been washed away. I'm made clean. I'm clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the gospel is also this. I am now free from sin. I no longer need to listen to sin. I'm no longer knocking at sin's door, saying, here I am. I'm ready to serve you. No, I'm knocking at the door of God. And I'm saying... I belong to you because I've been bought with the precious blood of Christ. I now belong to you. And it means sin no longer has any authority. It can no longer command me. It is no longer my master. That's what this chapter has been all about. I'll just briefly look back to the very first verse. Romans 6 verse 1. What then shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And then Paul asks, a similar question halfway through, verse 15. What then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Okay, so this is the gospel. I'm not saved by what I do. Does that mean I can do whatever I want? Well, Paul is saying, no, you need to understand the depths of your salvation. It means that sin itself no longer has any grip upon you. Uh, now, now look at the outcome of all of this. Look at the end of verse 21. There are only two destinies. If you are a slave of sin, the end of verse 21, for the end of those things is death. And also look at verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. Paul gives that very simple picture. Wages are what you earn. 
You do a job, somebody gives you what you deserve at the end of it. Well, what do you deserve for the life you've lived? The wages of sin is death. But he goes on in verse 23. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, Wages are what you earn. A gift is what you receive. What you're given for doing nothing. And God has given you eternal life if your faith is in Jesus Christ. You don't deserve it, but it's what you give you, what what he gives you. And he also gives you the most satisfying of lives. Look at verse 22. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. You see, this life, that you are given. It's a life where God is now doing something in you. Maybe this this morning um, you think, I've been a Christian for many years and um, I don't seem to be making as much progress as I'd like. I don't feel like someone who is free from sin. I feel very much I'm still enslaved to sin. I have these struggles within and I know something is wrong and yet I find something within me wanting to pursue it. Well, this is the reality of of what it's like for the Christian. But Paul is saying you're, you're free from sin. It no longer has the power to command you. You need no longer obey it. You are now alive to God. Now, what a wonderful thing that is, to be alive to God. In your gardens, you might have flowers or plants that you can train to go up the trellis and go in different directions. They're alive, but you're, you're training them to go in certain ways. The Christian is someone who is alive to God. You might be despondent at your lack of progress, but you're alive to him. He's doing something. He's always working in you and training you to go in the direction he wants you to go. And what you're promised here is fruit to holiness. You've been saved, and it means your sin is dealt with. But your fruit will be fruit to holiness. Whether you feel that's the case or not, that's what you're promised. Fruit to holiness. Let me tell you, I'll finish with this, but let me tell you one of the the most foolish things I ever said to a class of children. I think it was when I first began as a teacher, at least I hope it was, I said something like this, you're behaving like little children. There were these rowdy 11 and 12 year olds and I berated them with those words, you're behaving like little children. And then the smart Alec in the front row, but sir, that's what we are. You see what a foolish thing to say, berating children for being like children. Now remember where we began. You need to remember who you are. It would be very cruel for me to expect a child to be anything other than a child. Imagine I took one of my children with a rugby ball over to a field and I, I showed him how I could kick it through the posts. And then I said to him, now you do the same. Well, it would be cruel with their little legs and their lack of strength. You see, this chapter is full of commands. There have been no commands until you get to Romans 6 in the book of Romans, but Paul now 
commands believers to do certain things, but he only commands believers. There is a wonderful life of holiness to be lived, but it's only realized by the Christian. It can only be known by the Christian, because only the Christian has been changed from being a slave of sin to being a slave of God. Only a Christian can know that fruit to holiness. There is a a better and more beautiful life to be lived. And only the Christian can know it and realize it. And it is only to be found in Jesus Christ. I'll pray and then we'll sing. Father God, we thank you for the depths of the gospel. We thank you that if we are people who have faith in Christ, our sin has been taken from us and we've been clothed with the righteousness and the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. You consider what is his to be ours. But we thank you too that we are also saved from sin's power. And we pray that you would enable us to go on and to live lives in the beauty of holiness, to live lives that you have prepared for us, and to know those good works that you have prepared for us in advance to do. Be with us then, we ask, if we have not realized these things ourselves, if we are blind to the the wonder of a life um, united to the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that we would know it and, uh, and seek it until we find it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.